Futurecast. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Do do you hear do you hear that? There must be some insects or something buzzing around here. Or are they? Find out what's buzzing around my head along with how to do a root cause analysis and why compassion is so important as we start the 13th episode of the 3rd season of the original series, Wink of an Eye. Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and some other dude, a a red shirt, actually, (laughs) are on the surface of the planet Skalos. They're responding to a distress call. On the Enterprise, they can see the people making the distress call, but the landing party can't see anyone around them at all. They keep swatting at what seem to be insects, but, but there's no life that their tricorders can pick up. When suddenly, a loud buzzing sound happened. Complete survey of the planet using all ships' available instruments. Compton. And the red shirt guy just kind of phases, like he goes out of focus, and then he disappears. McCoy watches the whole thing happen, so they hurry up, they return to the ship to investigate. On the ship, they're dealing with a series of of just small, annoying malfunctions. Malfunctions, sir. Kirk, again, shows that he runs a really tight operation. The controls are frozen. Have a repair crew's been assigned? Yes, sir. They review the distress call. The Scalosians are nearing extinction. There used to be over 900,000 of them, and now only five. They don't know why this has happened to them, but they're asking for help. The Enterprise stays on alert. Whatever affected them has now affected a member of their crew, Crewman Compton, actually. They need answers. Now, in sickbay, Nurse Chapel reports on top of all these malfunctions that someone had rifled through the medical cabinets. Are there any drugs in this house? If there, that are, down for a if there are, you better find them and give them to me immediately. While Sulu reports even more malfunctions. Nothing major, again, nothing show-stopping, just... Just a lot of unexplainable things happening. McCoy is examining Kirk. He didn't find anything odd or unexpected with Spock. During the exam, though, Kirk hears that insect buzzing again, the same thing he heard on the surface. He wonders and asks if he's hallucinating. But McCoy says that he's not. There's nothing, nothing medically wrong with him. He determines they must have beamed something up with them. So he orders, or Kirk orders, all crew to be armed and ready for engagement. Spock reports strange readings. Strange energy straight to the cortex. Coming from life support. They head down to check it out. But on their way, they run into a force field. It only seems to affect the security team, and it allows Kirk and Spock through. When they get into life support, they find a weird device attached to the system. It's evidently a device of alien origin. They try to destroy it, but it shocks them. When they try and shoot it, their phasers suddenly just disappear. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Kirk tries to confront whatever is there or whatever is attacking them or putting the stuff in place, but but there's no response at all. They head back to the bridge and they're reviewing all available information. Yeoman, is that coffee available or 
Have those circuits been damaged as well? They still don't know very much at all. But as Kirk sips away at his coffee, the buzzing sound starts again. And then the people around him seem to be slowing down until they've all but frozen. Suddenly, he sees one of the people that they saw in the distress call. It's uh, Her name's Dila, and she's right there, standing on the bridge. She immediately, she, um, she immediately kisses him, which, you know, maybe in 1969, that's the reaction I'd have if I just suddenly saw William Shatner. But that's, that's what she chooses to do. Kirk, though, is having none of it. He demands to know who she is and what is going on. She explains that the Scalosians are hyper-accelerated. They operate just at a higher speed and frequency than, than, than others. They've done the same thing to Kirk. Changed you. So you are like me now. She keeps touching and stroking him. Like, I don't know. She clearly has seduction in mind. She continues to kiss him and, wow, even shares that she's been kissing him when she was invisible to him, like when he was normal speed and she was all hyper-accelerated. Ugh, it's gross. He shoves her off. He wants nothing to do with any of this and nothing to do with her. But she keeps pushing the issue. Now, now with words <laughs> instead of assault, he pulls his phaser out and then he apologizes. Before, before he fires, he apologizes for stunning her. But she doesn't seem worried at all. He fires, and the beam slowly escapes the phaser, and she easily just steps to the side. It's too slow. She pulls out a Scalosian weapon and uses it to disarm him. She encourages him to just accept what has happened. There is nothing you can do to change it. And apparently this is a thing they've done before, and she shares that over time... These people that are hyper-accelerated, like Kirk has been, simply come to accept and eventually appreciate the condition they're in. Back in normal time, Uhura sees that Kirk has disappeared, much like Crewman Compton. Spock grabs the cup of coffee, suspecting that it may have had something to do with his disappearance. Kirk is running down the corridor, and he runs into Compton. We see what Dila meant about accepting it. He's all in on supporting the Scalosians. So Kirk, Kirk does the only reasonable thing he can think of and attacks him. A vicious roundhouse kick takes him down as the Scalosians stun him. After he's stunned, Compton attacks the Scalosians. He was my captain. And the head scientist, Rail, smacks him across the face, drawing blood. He collapses, and one of the Scalosians remarks that he has cellular damage. While Kirk is out, Dila and Rail discuss their plans. It sounds like they've been doing this stuff for a really long time. They see the captives, Kirk in this case, is little more than pets or, or playthings. Cellular damage, though, is akin to a death sentence. We see this with Compton as he appears to have aged dramatically, and he's lying dead on the floor. Kirk wakes up, hops to his feet, and immediately demands answers. She reiterates, though, that it's not a big deal. Eventually, he's going to accept all of this. I will tell you anything you want to know, and you'll approve of it. Rail explains more the dangers of cellular damage, and Kirk storms off to sickbay. After he leaves, Rail kisses Dila. He's very jealous of what they have to do, what Dila has to do for them to survive. 
In sickbay, Kirk is recording a message to Spock. Dila mocks him for the uselessness of what he's doing, but he keeps going. He's figured out that the device and life support will turn the Enterprise into a deep freeze, preserving all of the crew for an unknown reason. Dila adds that an environmental catastrophe killed off most of their people and hyper-accelerated them. It also caused all of the men to be sterile, so they're preserving the crew as future breeding stock for the women. We are saving them for when we need them in the future. Despite her predictions, Kirk is not accepting or approving of this. Captain, we have the right to survive. Not by killing others. He tries to reason with her. This has been happening for generations, and he asks if they've actually solved the problem. He offers his crew and possibly even Starfleet to help them. I promise you, we'll use every skill we have to help you. But she refuses him, saying that they're trapped. In the confusion, he slips his recorded message into the computer in front of Spock, and he takes off, leaving Dila to herself. They eventually end up in Kirk's quarters together. Kirk is starting to play along with the seduction tactics and is actually becoming more accepting of Dila and the Scalosians. This is, uh, this is exactly what Dila said was going to happen. Back in sickbay, Spock and McCoy find Scalosian water in Kirk's coffee. As they discover this, they hear the buzzing sound again. McCoy starts testing the water while Spock replays the distress signal. He starts playing with the tape speed and is able to eventually reproduce the buzzing sound. McCoy finds Kirk's recorded message in the computer. He plays it, but all he hears is the buzzing sound. So McCoy, Spock come together. They compare notes and slow down Kirk's message. And they're able to hear it and understand it. Spock sends Scotty to the transporter room as they try and come up with a plan. We rejoin Kirk and Dila and his Quarters after something has happened. He's sitting on his bed, putting his boots on, and she's brushing her hair in front of the mirror. Suddenly, Rail barges in as they're continuing to get a little more affectionate. He attacks Kirk, and Dila grabs her Scalosian weapon, stuns Rail to stop him from harming Kirk. He professes his feelings for Dila, and she straight shuts him down. I don't care what your feelings are. She talks about Kirk like he's an object right right in front of his face but he seems unbothered by this i hoped i behaved correctly she seems relieved but also says that she preferred him when he was stubborn and independent ah how loving of her nurse chapel mccoy and spock have extracted the scalosian water and have been able to craft an antidote to it mccoy is trying to figure out a way to deliver the antidote to kirk while spock just gulps down the water spock you don't know what that'll do to you Everyone slows down around him, as we saw with Kirk, and just like that, Spock's hyper-accelerated too. Rail's gotten the transporter working. He's beamed down the rest of their party. While Kirk and Dila head that direction, Rail goes to activate the life support unit. I love, I love that this whole thing, like through all of this, Scotty's just standing at the door to the transporter room. He's just like a, just a prop in the background. <laughs> it's, it's a great touch. When they're alone in there in the transporter room, Kirk snags Dila's weapon and heads off to life support. He was fooling her the whole time. He hasn't become docile. He's not approving of everything that's going on. On his way down, he meets up with Spock. They go in together. They blast Rail. He's down. And then they destroy the freezing machine. 
Dela comes in afterwards and asks what they plan to do with them. Kirk, Kirk still offers to help them. He asks, what do you want us to do with you? But she just wants to return to Scalos. Spock gives Kirk the antidote, which works like a charm. Spock's day is accelerated for a little longer, though, to conduct repairs on the ship. Once he's done, he decelerates as well, and Kirk thanks him for a job well done. I found it an accelerating experience. As the Enterprise returns to normal operation, the Sclosians, looking looking pretty sad and dejected, appear on the view screen as if to say goodbye. The Enterprise puts up some warning beacons to keep other ships away from Scalos, and then warps away. What a dumb episode. It doesn't make any sense at all and can't hold up to even the tiniest bit of any level of scrutiny. But I still really like it. <laughs> Spock, Spock's a special kind of hilarious through the whole thing. And Kirk is near his peak in being one step ahead of the enemy. And he, and he kind of meets his match in Dila. This, is, this episode is just a fun, guilty pleasure for me. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings. Because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. This is the seventh episode of the original series that we've watched so far. Through all of them, one thing I've really loved is just like the busyness and the business of the ship. People are in the corridors working on stuff. Admin staff needs signatures on things and, and somebody has a tray of coffee. It just gives the Enterprise a, I don't know, a realistic feeling. But of course, of course they, you know, futurize everything just a little bit. My favorite, I think, have got to be the coffee cups. These are clearly just those styrofoam cups that are responsible for my growing air conditioning bill every year, but they painted them gray. Boom! Future. <laughs> I love it. Pop culture nowadays, in my opinion, has really skewed what this series actually is. People today think of all the red shirts getting killed, aliens in rubber costumes, and Kirk being a stammering, creepy ladies' man. That's Poppycock. These people are perfectly free to do anything they want. Yeah, there, there are some rubber suit aliens, but most of them are just really bad costumes or makeup. And the whole red shirt thing was actually proven to be mathematically incorrect. Okay, buckle up for this one. 
In 2017, at a Star Trek The Math of Con talk, mathematician James Grime shared a statistical analysis that proved gold shirts die at an alarmingly higher rate than red shirts. In the course of the series, 43 crew members die, 25 red shirts, 10 gold shirts, and 8 blue shirts. Seems pretty cut and dry, right? <laughs> Wrong. See, according to the classic Star Trek technical manual, which I literally wore out as a kid, there are 239 red shirts that serve on a Constitution-class ship, which is what the Enterprise is. There are 136 blue shirts and only 55 gold shirts. So what that means is over the course of the series, 10% of the red shirts died and an alarming 18% of the gold shirts did. Now tell me, which odds would you rather play? And Kirk being a gross, unashamed ladies' man, I say is patently false. Even in this episode, Dila calls him out for being married to his career and his ship. And she's not the only one in the course of the original series or even the movies to say that. While the scene in this episode where he's putting on his boots and she's brushing her hair is wildly risque for this time period and, and should absolutely not have made it past the censors in the late 60s, let's, let's be clear on what actually happened here. Dila. Dila was the instigator 100%. All Kirk did was roll with the punches to manipulate her so that he could gain the upper hand. So my challenge to you is to go back and watch the original series. Maybe just watch this episode, but see that, well, totally a product of the late 60s, almost none of the stereotypes of the original series stand up to any level of scrutiny, much like the plot and science in this episode, now that I think about it. You know, I was kind of disappointed in the vague way this one ended. Kirk offered to help. It seemed like they didn't want it, so they just left. So here's, here's my headcanon on what actually happened. See, at no point was Kirk intending to be kept captive or to allow the Enterprise crew to be used as breeding stock, but he also wasn't about to totally abandon the Scalosians. So when he manipulated Dila and um, slipped his boots back on, you know, that, that scene there, I think he intended to extend their generation, you know, by at least one, maybe buying them some time to work to solve their problem. So, you see, really, Kirk's not like some gross ladies' man. He's very generous. He's a giver. Or something like that. Command codes verified. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. Kirk, again, going against his stereotype, shows great empathy and compassion towards the Scalosians through this episode and uses a tool that you can put into practice right away. He also asks a question that every manager, every leader should ask literally all the time. And that is, does this actually solve anything? I'm going to show how the Scalosians' short-sighted attempts to address their symptoms is something we experience every day in the workplace and in our communities. Finally, 
Have you ever wondered what the difference between motion and movement is? I sure have. I have spent a lot, (laughs) a lot of time thinking about that, actually. And there's no better example than Dila and her crew in this episode. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Before diving into the great content from this episode, I want to call out one little moment that I loved. Early on, there are so many more questions than answers. In fact, there really are no answers. Kirk and crew have no reason to do anything but panic at this point, really. Well, out of the blue, those super calm, Kirk gets a smile on his face and he asks, Yeoman, is that coffee available or have those circuits been damaged as well? He didn't have to do that. He could have just snagged a cup and barely acknowledged the yeoman, but he took his time. He made eye contact, smiled, and asked a stupid question that broke the tension. Little actions like this from leaders go so far in determining how others will react. Like I said, everyone has every reason to panic, but he keeps the tone light and friendly with a clear focus on solving the problem at hand. And as a result, they are all more prepared for for his hyper-acceleration that happens just a few moments later. It's small, but it's masterful. Okay, let's talk compassion. I feel like in the last few years, we finally started to just begin understanding how critical compassion is from our leaders. In fact, I was recently a guest on the Hey, What Did I Miss podcast, and Cameron, the host, asked me what role compassion plays in leadership. And I actually answered that if he had asked me that question like, I don't know, 10 years ago, really, maybe even five years ago, I would have told you that conventional wisdom said that compassion played no role. People are here to do a thing, to do a job. They do it or you show them the door. But now, as we've begun to understand emotional intelligence, we know that compassion is everything in leadership. Caring for others, caring how they feel, caring what, what happens to them. This, this is leadership. And that's what we see from Captain Kirk. The first thing he does, once once he understands what's going on, and also the last thing that he does, is he tries to help the Scalosians. He offers the full force of the Federation scientists and his ship to help them. They, they, of course, turn him down, but he doesn't give up. All the stuff in the episode happens, and in the end, Dila admits defeat. Kirk would have been well within his rights to send them back to Scalos to die without a second thought. But instead, he doubles down on his offer to help them. We can rebuild it. We have the technology. But again, she refuses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You want to help someone so, so very desperately. But nothing you can think of, nothing nothing you think that you can offer seems to actually be able to help or it's not accepted. Well, if you do find yourself in this situation, 
Just ask yourself, WWKD, what would Kirk do? Well, Kirk would go to his Leadership 101 training and ask a question. And that question is, What do you want us to do with you? What do you want us to do? Look, I'm here to help. I have resources at my disposal. And, and maybe, more importantly, I care about you. I have compassion for you and your situation. So, so just tell me what to do. This was a great move by Kirk. It was very big of him. And even though, in the end, he ultimately did leave them on Scallows to die, he knows that he tried. And, and they also know that he tried. Like, if we sci-fi things out on this, he could have abandoned them there. And who knows? Maybe they end up solving their problem. The whole time, they're plotting revenge against the Federation for leaving them on SETI Alpha 5. Nope, wrong example. (laughs) For leaving them on Scalos. They're plotting revenge. And then, then the fifth season of Star Trek Discovery is the intergalactic existential crisis from the hate-filled Scalosians. Or Kirk does what he does. They solve their problem And in the intergalactic existential crisis of Discovery's fifth season, the Scalosians swoop in with their hyper-acceleration tech and save the day for all. And that simply because he chose to start with compassion. And in the end, he chose compassion over revenge. Now, why they keep refusing him, well... That's actually one of the many things that just doesn't stand up to any scrutiny in this episode. But Kirk doesn't just let them say no and let him off the hook. No. Once again, he goes to his Leadership 101 training, and let's say it together here, he asks a question. Yeah, you're getting it. That's great. As Dila is explaining why they have no choice but to do anything and do what they've been doing, what they've done for generations, Kirk asks... Did they solve anything? Their ancestors started abducting people for breeding purposes, which, which kind of takes care of their immediate problem of extinction. But does it really solve anything? Yeah, it absolutely does not. It actually masks the real problems because... Hey, (laughs) we're not dead. Their real problems, the root causes of their situation are their hyper-acceleration and sterility. They have completely stopped even thinking about those as problems because, well, they've taken care of, they've addressed the most apparent symptom of those root causes. Now this, this is an everyday thing in every workplace in the entire world. Something isn't good, so someone addresses that thing without ever addressing the root cause, which actually ends up causing new problems. So now they got to solve those, and then they have to go and solve those ones, and on and on and on. But in the end, they've never addressed the actual one root cause. One of my favorite examples is the absolutely ridiculous practice of regular forced password changes. So what's the problem? Systems or applications get hacked or accessed by unauthorized users. Hmm, well, how do people get access? Well, with passwords. Well, well, then we should change passwords more often. Because our minds, our brains, 
are so filled with passwords. It's such a struggle for us to remember all the passwords. So what ends up actually happening? Well, now I have 47 different passwords that all change on a different schedule and have different rules. Five of the 47 can be changed to anything that's different than the last, but the other 42 have rules like, oh, it can't be used, a reused password from the last 24, or it can't be in sequence with a prior password. So now, now I forget all my passwords all the time, and I use really advanced tools, you know, like sticky notes that I stick under my keyboard to keep track of all of them. With the intention of solving the hacking issue or the access issue, a whole new issue of password management has been created. Oh, and, and the other part of that whole thing, yeah, there are still a ton of unauthorized accesses going on. Your security office has all these convoluted rules in place, but... Did they solve anything? I mean, even Microsoft advises against the practice of forced password changes, but almost everyone still requires it. If someone did a root cause analysis, or an RCA, that would show that more robust protocols are needed. Biometrics password managers, anti-phishing tools, etc., are dramatically more effective and have much less inconvenience and frustration for users. But I think I moved ahead a little too quick. Let's, let's go back really quick. What is a root cause analysis? Now, I think at its simplest, it's a formal problem-solving approach that identifies the, the root cause, the real cause of issues. Now, some tools that people can use include fishbone diagrams, the five whys, Pareto charts, and formal brainstorming. Now, I talked about the five whys in the Starfleet Leadership Academy episode on DS9, Things Past, and I talked about Pareto charts in Discovery, Choose Your Pain. You can use these tools to really drive down to the actual thing causing the problem. When you do this, you often solve many visible problems or symptoms because they're all the result of one core root thing. So since I've addressed some of these other tools before, today I'm going to talk about a relatively simple but very powerful tool for conducting a root cause analysis. I'm going to talk about the fishbone diagram. A fishbone diagram is put together, ideally, in a facilitated session. A facilitated uh, chaos is, uh, is what I've called these before. It's, it's a focused brainstorming session, essentially, but you're not brainstorming solutions. You're brainstorming potential causes. Now, you start by identifying the problem. This is often a visible problem or a symptom. That's going to be the head of the fish. fish, heads, fish heads, pony, pony, fish then you draw a line out from that like the spine of the fish. You'll then draw a few, usually eh, four to six offshoots uh, from that spine. Those are categories or contributing factors. So for the Sclosians, the problem, the fish head, could be uh, facing extinction. The categories or, or the ribs of the fishbone could be sterility, hyperacceleration, radiation, and cellular damage. 
that along each rib, each category, you brainstorm potential causes. And once you have those, you prioritize which causes to address first. A great way to do that is by utilizing a Pareto chart. These can be relatively high level and simple, or they can get wildly complex. That's going to depend on the depth of the root causes and, and honestly, the skill of the facilitator. But had the Scalosians done a root cause analysis, they could be working towards a long-term solution instead of existing through a never-ending series of deceptions and abductions. One last concept I want to touch on that this episode alluded to is the concept of motion versus movement. The Sclosians were such a great example of this. They were full of motion. They were, they were hyper-accelerated, but they had no movement. They weren't actually going anywhere or progressing towards anything. In a work environment, this can present in a lot of different ways. In my world, day-to-day, -day, it's all the meetings, the IMs, emails, PowerPoints, and, well, the noise, right, about a thing or a problem with nothing actually happening or changing. Quick example, in a large organization I worked with, we had a $10,000 a month process that basically, if I'm, if I'm oversimplifying, moved mail from one side of a building to the other objectively a wild waste of money for about 18 months there were countless meetings about it there were proposals written demonstrations done arguments had and well, as far as i know nothing ever changed at all in fact we probably spent maybe more money talking about the problem than we ever did just letting the problem exist. It was all just a bunch of motion, a bunch of stuff happening, a lot of noise, but zero movement, right? Nothing ever changed. Now, I wasn't able to address that problem in that organization, but not for a lack of trying. The way to stop this motion versus movement issue simply is to look to that class, that Leadership 101 class that Kirk went to, and what does that class teach us to do? Hmm? Yep, that's right. It teaches us to ask a question. When, when having a meeting about a problem, when, when you're engaging in the motion, right, having a meeting or, or an IM conversation or something like that, ask what will this meeting do? What will this activity do to move to a solution? If the answer is nothing, or, or worse, just a bunch of nonspecific buzzwords, you cancel the meeting. Now, some motion is good, right? Tires, tires have to spin, for example, to make the car move. But if you're ever spinning your wheels and not going anywhere... You take your foot off the gas and you figure out a new approach. When have you been stuck around a lot of motion but had no movement? Let's talk about it in our discussion group. You can click the link in the show notes for it or search for the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast on Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at SFLA podcast and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in transporter malfunction, 
A-K-I-N. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Sticking in third seasons, but jumping all the way to Voyager, it's the 19th episode, Rise. It's a Tuvok and Neelix episode. I know the drop played just a moment ago. That's my amazing daughter, by the way. But I do want to ask you to take just a few seconds to rate and review the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Not only does it help encourage others to check the Starfleet Leadership Academy out, but more importantly, it lets you share your thoughts on the show with me directly. In fact, in fact, if you send me a copy or a screenshot of your review, I'll read it on an upcoming episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. And ex astra scientia. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.